the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Good President's Day to you. I hope you are having a great one. Some of you are taking the day off. We are not. Lots of news over the weekend. I want to make sure you know it. Most of it has to do with a Russian dissident about whom you probably knew little, if anything, before last week. Alexei Navalny has long been seen as the principal public voice opposing Putin and not very effective. He'd been in jail forever. Putin tried to poison him and kill him. And Navalny was sent to Germany for treatment from the two poisoning at Trent. He chose to return to the United States, uh, to, the, to Russia, instead of going on to the United States or staying in Germany. And Putin immediately had him arrested and put in one of these horrible gulag 2.0 camps and where he was murdered last week. So you get a New York Times story on Saturday. Navalny's death shocked the world. But will it galvanize opposition to Putin? It did not shock the world, and it will not galvanize opposition to Putin because Joe Biden's in charge. He can't galvanize anything. He couldn't lead a Little League rally um, with parents in the stands. The brave and great Alexei Navalny is the National Review's tribute to the Russian dissident. Navalny's death will strike fear into all Russians who hate Putin's criminal regime. That's true. That headline from the Telegraph is absolutely true. And in the New York Times this morning comes the inevitable report. Arrested for leaving flowers. Navalny mourners fear worse to come. So in Putin's Russia, if you even leave flowers as a memorial to a murdered dissident, you'll be arrested. As Putin threatens despair and hedging in Europe. The Times notes David Sanger and Steve Erlanger. And then we have in the uh, the Telegraph a detailed, a detailed um, overview of Polar Wolf. That's the sadistic centerpiece where Putin sends you in the gulag. It's in the Arctic Circle. That's where he sends you to die. And if you won't die, they'll just bump you off like they did with Navalny. Now, over the weekend, the Canadian Broadcasting Company corporation put out a story. NATO expects most of Alliance to hit 2% defense spending target by the end of the year. That's not enough. Because it's not everyone in NATO and 2% is not enough. Not if you're worried about the China, Russia, Iran, new alliance of evil. It's there. It's actually operating. It's got other allies like North Korea, all the Iranian proxies. It's the reality of the world. And it's running rampant with Joe Biden at its head. Russian victories shake global leaders' faith in Ukraine war prospects. That's because Russia took a city that is now just totally in shambles. But the Ukrainians were holding on to a suburb which blocked a Russian push further. Biden has not gotten the right stuff to them. It is not clear to me that Biden's ever had a clue how to stop Russia. It's the too little, too late too long strategy. Send too little, send it late, and then go on forever so that the American people lose patience, as is happening. Now, I want the aid package to pass, and soon. In the meantime, Europe has to step up. Gazprom grapples with collapse in sales to Europe. The only thing that has been successfully done is that Nord Stream 1 and 2 are not providing gas from Russia to Europe. And the Ukrainians blew up Gazprom one or two. I can't remember which one they blew up. But remember, Joe Biden approved Gazprom two. 
Remember that. There's a new book out, this one, called The Internationalists. If you're watching on Salem News Channel, I'm holding it up. The Fight to Restore American Foreign Policy After Trump. Alex Ward is a very good reporter for a very left-wing site, Politico. And Politico is left-wing, but national security is usually nonpartisan, and Alex Ward is nonpartisan. But, but, he was given unlimited access to Team Biden in its hubris. Team Biden let Mr. Ward talk to everyone, go everywhere, and he wrote it all down. And what he wrote down is so absolutely devastating for Team Biden, mostly because of its hubris. This book was supposed to come out, you know, the masterminds over at the White House. I don't know if it's Dr. Jill or the chief of staff whose name nobody knows, or one of the many political people that are running around there. It's not Ronald Klain. Maybe it was Ron Klain. They decided it would be good to give Ward complete access and it's all there in the internationalist. You you can tell who he's talking to. Biden, Sullivan, and, and Lloyd Austin and the president just said, come on board, let's go, at the beginning. So he was there through the fiasco of Biden's direction over the objections of General McKenzie and Milley, uh, his veto of any remaining residual force in Afghanistan, 2,500 troops, whatever. It's all detailed there. Biden's mind was never open on that. He's always been wrong about Afghanistan. He was wrong, and the disastrous consequences of that followed. But what I didn't know, I mean, I, I've known Biden's a disaster. You know Biden's a disaster. What I did not know is that in Geneva in June of 2021, because Biden asked for and, and Putin granted a summit in Geneva that Biden allegedly, according to the internationalists, now Alex Ward was not in the room, so he doesn't know this, so he, he has to trust Team Biden, really laid down the law for Putin on Navalny, telling him he'll be responsible. And on page 120 of the internationalist, I had to stop, wrote it down, I put it on my X file, uh, posted it there, quote, Biden left the meetings with Putin. These are the meetings in Geneva, June 2021. Biden left the meetings with Putin, telling his aides he got his message through to Putin. Well, apparently not, because one of those key messages, according to the internationalist, is, quote, Biden admonished Putin that his administration wouldn't stay silent about Russia's abuses of human rights, including jailing Alexei Navalny, the leader of the Russia of the Future Party. Not only did they jail him, they sent him to pull a wolf and then they murdered him. Because they don't care what Joe Biden thinks or says. Douglas Murray, the extraordinary British journalist who's become sort of the new Chris Hitchens, has a column in the Telegraph this morning titled... Joe Biden's catastrophic presidency represents the final surrender of the West. I hope it's not the final surrender. But the one line in that column, under President Biden, America has been continuous, has been seen continuously as in retreat from the rest of the world. Yes, it is. And over the weekend, the news was the Israelis have had it with Biden. They got the entire cabinet together, left, right, and center. Now, remember that the after the massacre of 10-7, Benny Gantz, leader of the opposition, joined the unity government and is a part of the war cabinet with one of his closest allies. And the entire cabinet, including Gantz and his allies, all the way over to the far right ones, rebuff, and it's from the Times of Israel, rebuffing Biden, cabinet rejects unilateral Palestinian state as a, quote, reward for terrorism. Biden and Blinken and Sullivan have been jamming down the idea that we need a uh, an irrevocable path to peace to a to a Palestinian state. It's exactly the wrong thing. We ought to be saying. I mean, it's really like 180 degrees wrong from American policy. We try to be shoulder to shoulder with no daylight with Israel, saying first Hamas is destroyed, Egypt let the refugees in. They're building a place for the refugees in Egypt right now. Uh, from Rafa, and we'll send some north, some south. Israel will go in and finish off Hamas. They'll blow up all the tunnels, and then we can do reconstruction. Exactly the wrong message from Team Biden. Uh, if you had any doubt about it, 
The Defense Minister Gallant announced yesterday that Hamas is seeking to replace Sinwar as the Khan Yunus Brigade is defeated. They can't even find Sinwar. They get, but give the left time. Lifeline to Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, because the Labour leader who would take over for him, Keir Starmer, called for a Gaza ceasefire yesterday. Uh, that is really surrender. So we know that the surrender monkeys of British Labour Party are still there. Rishi Sunak and David Cameron are not the world's most inspiring people, but they're not as bad as the left-wing losers at the top of Labour. So that's the opening of it. Go and get the internationalist. I'm going to talk to Alexander Ward on Wednesday. It's so stunning how incompetent Team Biden is and how they thought they were really just so really smart. Joe Biden was so confident. Now he's a shadow of the already broken down self that he was in 2021. And the world's in trouble. You know it, and I know it. Do why Donald Trump is winning in the primary. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. A lot to do on this Monday edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show on President's Day. Good President's Day to you, America 2024. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Markets are closed today. So my friends over at American Federal, which sells gold to you, they will be open. Uh, and gold is trading internationally, but, but securities are not. Uh, the gold this morning is at $2,030 an ounce, pretty much where we left it on Friday. Not much has changed. Not much data has moved markets, and we don't know what American markets are going to do. They're closed today. But you can call 800-221-7694. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Joined by Jim Garrity of National Review and, like me, a contributing columnist to the Washington Post. Jim, I just followed my Fox News, not my Washington Post column, my Fox News column, on uh, Vladimir Karamurza, who is now next up on Putin's list to be killed. I'll bet you not one in 10,000 Americans know who Karamurza is. And I bet you they didn't know about Navalny until this weekend. What do you think are the percentage numbers of Americans who know about Russian dissidents? Yeah, I'm going to agree on the first one. It was ringing only the vaguest bells in the back of my mind. Navalny, because particularly, I think particularly because of the documentary, it won the Academy Award. Award. Uh, there's been more news coverage of him. The, the decision to go back to Russia. I feel like there was more familiarity with Navalny, uh, but it's probably just a, a vague surface level. Yeah, he was some critic of Putin who was uh, unfairly prosecuted. They tried to kill him. I can't remember whether that one was radio radioactive or poison. Myself, but they, you know, like. There's a recognition this is one of the few people in Russia who was willing to publicly stand up against Putin. And we all kind of sensed he was likely to pay the ultimate price someday. And the ultimate price came, you know, late last week. So I, I probably a third of Americans had some vague sense of who Navalny was. They probably could, you know, from the, the sound of the name, figure out he was Russian. Now, but um, not a great deal of you know, in-depth familiarity. My point tomorrow in tomorrow's column is that in the Reagan years, and indeed in the Carter years and in the Nixon years, we knew who Solzhenitsyn was. We knew who Sarkarov was. We knew who Sharansky was. We knew who Bukowski was. Soviet dissidents were a thing. We, we paid attention. And as a result, they had a, a thin layer of protection. They eventually got tossed out of the country. I don't think we pay attention anymore. And I blame, the free press has an incredible exchange of letters between Sharansky and Navalny posted today, which everyone should read. But I'm not sure American media does much with Russian dissidents anymore, do we? I'm going to largely agree. I'm also going to point out that my colleague, Jay Nordlinger, I think does more to spotlight prisoners agree. of conscience around the world, maybe, and maybe anybody else in the entire U.S. media. Uh, Jay is a tireless uh, figure who loves to talk to these people, loves to call attention to them, loves to let them know that they are not forgotten. Um, there, there, you can blame the media. I also point out, does it feel like U.S. officials make a big stink about this? Um, uh, I, and I'm going to make the one molecule of credit that I will give Tucker Carlson, because I think overall his interview with Putin was terrible. I think overall his silly propaganda videos from the supermarket are egregious. But he did bring up Evan Gorsevich. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name no, correctly. Grishenko. Wall Street Journal. Uh, I, 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 I forget it. It's Evan, the Wall Street Journal reporter. I stand with Evan is the hashtag, right? And he yeah. did bring it up, and he pointed out this is a kid. We all know he's not a spy. 
Putin was, wasn't doing anything, but I give Carlson a tiny bit of credit for at least raising the issue, pushing it as much as he pushed anything in that interview, which was not a lot, um, and didn't happen. But my, my, like, my understanding is like Reagan and, and all of these other officials would bring up these names in these meetings and put them on the spot. And even Jesse Jackson was good at this sort of thing in the 80s. So I don't know if the Biden administration doesn't feel like, you know, this is worth the effort, that they feel like they're always going to hear no. Um you know, sometimes there's an advantage to putting them on the spot and saying, hey, as, an, as a we all know this person is not really a spy. We all know this person is not really a threat to your regime. As a show of good faith, let me go home with them. You'll get a lot of good publicity out of this. Everybody will see you as a reasonable, rational person. And we can do, you know, then we can do business. But you've got to put something on the table to make us feel better. And, you know, I don't I don't feel like the administration is pushing very much. What I do see is you see prisoner exchanges. Which feels like, oh, okay, here's this great incentive to keep taking our people. Exactly. We'll give you a Victor Boot. We'll give you a serious arms dealer. You know, we'll give you stuff if you, you know, to make this. Um, well, we will pay the Dangelt and we will make this entire process worthwhile. Yeah, pay the Viking price. The, um, the reference you made reminded me of Lamar Alexander, a uh, great retired senator from uh, Tennessee, former Secretary of Education, former governor. And he had a he liked to steal Alexander, uh, who wrote Roots, uh, Alexander Haley, uh, Tombstone has on it. Find the good and praise it. And that's what I did with Tucker's interview. The, The good part of Tucker's interview was bringing up Evan. And I thought we should praise that. Now, let me show you this new book, which dropped today. I don't know if you have The Internationalist yet by Alexander Ward. I don't know if you know Alex Ward over at Politico, but he got complete access to Team Biden for two and a half years. And I I was stunned. I'm getting ready to interview him tomorrow. On page 120, they're talking about the summit that Biden held with um, Putin in Geneva in June of 2021. And Putin brought up Navalny. And on the plane, on the way home, he told his aides, I got through to him. He heard me on, on, on this stuff. Well, on Saturday, Biden says... It's outrageous, but I'm not surprised. Okay, Jim, how do you think you get through to someone and yet you're not surprised when they kill the person you specifically told them not to kill? Um, As I remember correctly, Biden also said there would be severe consequences if Navalny died. That has happened. My understanding is the initial comment from Biden was that, well, we've already enforced serious consequences through uh, our support for Ukraine. Which, to me, if you're like, you're going to have severe consequences, ah, we already did those severe consequences. That is not reassuring. Now, I understand they might be looking at other options. It feels like we've sanctioned them with every tool we've got. I, I don't know no, we haven't. what further levers there are. There's one more. Oh, okay. yes, all right, so maybe, you know, okay, we can seize the assets and turn them over to Ukraine. Is that what you're thinking of? Or No, you take Putin's money. We have not. We've taken some okay. of the big guy's money, uh, the people around him. His, his inner circle. We've dinged a few of them. We've left Putin's cash alone. All right. I all be 100% behind that. You know, it, it feels like we have a president who, in addition to, you remember his story of Corn Pop and how Corn Pop was a bad dude, but then Biden came along and he had that, I don't know if it was a, a, a brass knuckles or whips or anything. And I put that guy in his place. Uh, Biden tells the story of telling Putin to his face, I think you're a damn thug and a liar and a killer. And nobody else was around. There are no witnesses to this. But, you know, Biden assures us that when he was behind closed doors with Putin, he got in his face and he showed that ex-KGB colonel who was boss. It feels like what we see from Biden in that bluster and don't worry, I'm the one. You know, I, I had him quaking in his boots, you know, um, that, that our foreign policy is, is, you know, operates on that. This, this I want to contrast. Of, that's the red line. He said Navalny was a red line, just like Obama said chemical weapons yeah. were a red line. You know what Trump did? People hate Trump, but Trump dropped cruise missiles on Bashar Assad not once, but twice when he used chemical weapons. And I am here to tell you, Hugh, do, do something. Hugh, let, me, let me tell you. I turned Soleimani into a red line. He yes. was a nice little <laughs> highway in, in Baghdad. And then he's this, this scarlet all over the place. It was just very clear. You pissed me off. I might just bomb you. I you might know, we not, might have you know. and Guy Benson on to do dueling Trumps. I'm, I, I think Guy might win. But, but I mean, does anyone... A, uh, th- this book is such a damning... 
This was intended to be look inside the Biden administration, be impressed by the internationalists. The subtitle is the fight so to restore American the, foreign the, policy. The last politician, Hugh. That's oh. the you know, this was the last one that was, uh, oh, we got total access. Let me tell you how great he was. And then at the last couple pages, Franklin Forrest says, you know, Biden said that sometimes he felt tired and that maybe he was a little old for the presidency. Oh, you think, you know, um, Uh, Jim, I got to play for you. I need your reaction to Stephen Colbert on Friday. This is Stephen Colbert on Friday night talking to his nationwide audience from his very lowly ranked uh, show. I know. I know how numb we've become, but it's not normal. No other candidate for the presidency has ever had to pause his campaign to defend himself in multiple courts. And I would like to point out that in all seven of his cases, no one, no one doubts that he did these things. All right, Jim, that kind of makes you want to watch him, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it just draw you in for a Friday night, you know, lighthearted comedy show? Is it Steve Miller, Stephen Miller, who says this is group therapy for liberals? Uh, yes. That this is, you know, late, like, you know, that this is just meant to make them feel good. And I suppose you could find um, other programs on the right that offer that same kind of uh, programming or something like that. I do remember, like, I remember, you know, uh, whether it was not Jay Leno going through, what do I love, Kev? Stupid criminals. Let me, let's go, or, you know, headlines, you know, like things that were just meant to make you laugh and not necessarily meant to, you know, or, or uh, John Rickles and Johnny Carson. We could use some more of that. I did not know that. Uh, as as the the animal pees all over Ed McMahon in every single segment, like it was just that hell, David Letterman playing Velcro Man jumping up, like there were all these things where you're like, this is just crazy funny stuff, and you don't have to, doesn't matter where you are politically, you all enjoy it. And like hey, late night television, Charity, I got to go to break. If you're free, stick around. It's President's Day, so I know you're not driving the kids to school. So we'll see if you'll stick around. Stay tuned, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Up down, got its hustlers. Welcome back, America. Here you are with Jim Garrity. You can follow Jim at Jim Garrity on X. He writes for National Review and the Washington Post. Jim, what you said in the last segment made me reach for my copy of The Internationalists, The Fight to Restore American Foreign Policy After Trump. Now, Alex Ward is a fine reporter. On page 110, he writes, Biden also believed he could build rapport with strong men. A prerequisite would be that he and his counterparts understood each other. That would av- avoid miscalculation. A case in point was 2011, when the then Vice President Biden met with Putin at the Kremlin. At one point, Biden got really close to the Russians' face and said, I look in your eyes and I don't think you have a soul. Putin shot back, That's we right. understand one another. All right. I do not believe that ever happened. Why? Th- th- this should come with a narrator, shouldn't it? Yeah, uh, you know, but, but I just want to observe, you know, Hugh, we, 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 Putin comes to power, very tail end of Clinton, if I remember correctly. And yes. George W. Bush, I, I looked into his soul and I saw a good man. He was going to be our ally in the war on terror. And like, I, it was a reasonable enough expectation. They've been fighting Chechnyans and Islamists. But in the end, my understanding was every time we tried to cooperate with Russia, they would say, OK, you tell us all your secrets and we'll let you know if it's true. You know, it was very much a – they were not nearly as cooperative as uh, our intelligence community was hoping. Then we get uh, Obama. I will transmit this to Vladimir, you know, uh, as, as Medvedev uh, said. Uh, I'll have more flexibility after the election. You know, this con- – you know, rolls into Crimea, minimal response, certainly not nearly enough to be a deterrent. The little green men keep moving into the Donbass and all that stuff. But then we get, you know, Trump – not much of an improvement. Uh, you know, the awful, was it Helsinki, whatever it was, where he comes out and, you know, always telling his advisors, oh, P- Vladimir told me this, you know. Constantly, but he you know, stopped Nord Stream 2. Correct. I'll give him credit with that. He gave you know, NATO an ultimatum on 2%. 2016, every Democrat turns into a Russia hawk. 2016, finally, they've recognized that Putin is a bad guy. And why did they recognize that Putin is a bad guy? Look, it's not that they think Trump is bad because he may have a friendly relationship with Putin. It's that they think Putin is bad because he might have a friendly relationship with Trump. You're absolutely he right. finally affected something they care about, domestic politics, right? So, you know, we've, you know the, the Democrats are born again, McCarthyite, you know, uh, a full-fond, you know, um, Dr. Strangelove, cold warriors, and they're ready to take it, you know, and then the moment Biden gets into office, 
I want a stable and predictable relationship with Rudy. What? You were the hawk. You were the guy who was supposed to be really tough on this. And instead, it's like, oh, I'm going to turn Saudi Arabia into the pariahs that they are and all that stuff. And the first thing he does once he's in office is, no, we're going to restore Nord Stream 2. We're going to we, we want stability. Uh, look, but Putin wants stability, too. Like the graves are stable. Yeah. They, like who the idea is, of like, well, once I've who is Biden toughest stable. on Jim Garrity, without thinking much about it, who has Biden been toughest on anywhere in the world since he became president? Initially, I'm going to say Saudi Arabia, uh, and because like, well, we certainly don't want the Saudis bombing the Houthis. You know, no. we can't have that. They had the early lead. Decent hard work. They had the uh, early uh, lead. Lately, it's a Israel. It's Israel. Yeah. Uh, it's lately, Israel. It's, it could cost them Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just sometimes we also haven't delivered any weapons to Taiwan the way we're supposed to. Now, that's more of a you know that's not necessarily a policy decision. That's just incompetence. But like you know. We are, man, we are tough on our allies. uh, Enemies will take it easy. Did uh, did you notice that the entire Israeli cabinet, from Benny Gantz over to the farthest right guy, said we are not doing the unilateral Palestinian state. That is not, that's rewarding 10-7. And they don't get that at the White House. No. Look, you know, and here's the, like, you know, you, you could be an Israeli and be very critical of Bibi. And you can be, you know, less than pleased with how they've executed the war. You can argue that they've, uh, you know, like there's there's all kinds of like the, the Israelis are not known for always agreeing with each other on everything. <laughs> the Israeli politics is not quiet and placid and easygoing. And, you know, um, but but when it comes to national survival, when it comes to what are we going to do with Hamas there? You know, if any if any serious entity of Hamas exists when this conflict ends, Hamas wins. Like yes. to that, you know, survival to them is a victory because it shows we can launch this egregious, you know, big, biggest killing of Jews since the Holocaust. And, yeah, Israel will punch back and a whole bunch of people in Gaza will suffer. Innocent people will suffer, but we will survive and we'll be able to plot it again some other time. And we'll get a state because Joe Biden will cap- capitulate. Jim Garrity, thank you. Happy President's Day, Jim. Thank you for joining me on a holiday. Don't go anywhere. John Campbell's Next America. Look through chaos on X. I'll be right back. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Morgan Ortegas, my friend indeed, former spokesperson for the United States at the Department of State, joins me. Good morning, Morgan. Happy President's Day. Hey, good morning. How are you? I am great. Now, Morgan, I've got in my hand a book by Alex Ward. Now, I like Alex. I think he's a very fine reporter for a very left-wing organization, Politico. He has a new book out called The Internationalist, The Fight to Restore American Foreign Policy After Trump. Now, it's clear to me he was given extraordinary access. Would you tell us a little bit about how do you go about giving access to reporters that you want to write a story? Um, So it's interesting. From a book perspective, uh, Secretary Pompeo, when I was spokesperson for the State Department under President Trump, Secretary Pompeo refused to participate in any books. And I think any of the um, writers who were writing books around the time, uh, any of the authors or reporters would agree with that statement of mine because he flat out refused. I think there was there was one. I'm trying to remember who it was. There was one book writer that uh, President Trump made Pompeo sit down for an interview with. And it lasted like 10 minutes and was unpleasant because, you know, Pompeo just really felt like um, you could judge the Trump presidency maybe in 20 or 30 years and write a book in it. But in real time, he wanted to give the president space to make the decisions that he needed to make. And, you know, you didn't have a lot. We have leaks coming out of the career side of the State Department. But on the political side, um, which, of course, your brilliant son worked for me for a bit uh, uh, on the political side, we were pretty tight. You know, we knew that leaking only sort of would undermine um, what we were trying to do. Now, Morgan, when you read this, I don't know if you have got a copy yet of The Internationalist. Have you gotten a copy? Uh, not yet, but I do have a Sunday radio show, and Alex is coming on my show. So you know what? You better give me a copy. Oh, so you know he's a good reporter. What you know, the, yeah. what they're doing yeah. over there at Foggy Bottom today is pulling their hair out because <laughs> this does not do what they hoped it would do. It does the opposite of what they hoped it would do. It makes the president look like a clown because they quote him repeatedly. 
Um, you know, this is this is like a, it's such an interesting parlor game in Washington to, you know, get in these books and, and try to shape the narrative. You know, I often it's one of the reasons why I try not to live in D.C. if I'm not working in a Republican administration here in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm talking to you from. There are like uh, maybe two people that are going to read this book. And this is no offense to Alex. I love Alex. Um, he's a he's a good reporter, but it's, it's just sort of sort of the like political intrigue, I think pales in comparison to, uh, you know, things like the price of gasoline or the price of groceries. And it doesn't mean that the average person isn't interested in foreign policy. I, I, I think they are. I think the average person can look up on their screen and know that, um, hey, 13 Americans were killed in Afghanistan in the beginning of this presidency. And wow, all the same national security people who were in charge then, uh, who also oversaw Russia invading Ukraine, who also oversaw Hamas invading Israel, and now see China on the march. Well, those people are all still in charge, right? And three Americans were killed in Jordan two weeks ago. And right. we've done a little bit, but not like killing Soleimani. I just think they are... They are so unaware of themselves. They have no self-awareness at Team Biden. At least I don't think they do. Do you think they do? No, I think that they really, it was like they just came in and said, okay, we're going to do the opposite of everything the orange men did because it was bad. You know, I've actually talked to some people, um, you know, who will be involved like an AFPI and people who may be involved in the Trump transition, foreign policy types. And I said, you know, the big mistake that the Biden team team made that we should not make if and when, please God, you know, we win in November and take over and have a Republican administration. The big mistake that the Biden team made is they just thought the last four years of Trump were an aberration and they were going to sort of ignore it and go back to where they were at the end of the Obama administration. And you can't do that, right? The Middle East had changed. The world changes in four years. And that's something that I think the foreign policy team, uh, you know, people who may come in, we need to be cognizant of that um, as well. The conservatives do, because, you know, whether or not we like it, we probably don't agree with most of it. The world has changed dramatically. So under four years of Biden, and you can't just pretend that you're at the end of the last presidency. So you've got to look at things like the Islamic Republic of Iran. And the reality is going just marching back into the maximum economic pressure campaign that we were on four years ago is not going to be easy. It may not be palatable. We're going to have to think of new and creative ways to try and restore deterrence. And, and we're in a really, really tough position. Once you lose deterrence, having to try and restore it, not only in one theater, but in almost every theater around the world, you know, you've got uh, Maduro in Venezuela, Cuba, uh, you know, there's our border, our southern border, which is the most precarious national security problem. When you start to go around the world, you think, gosh, the world is not scared of the United States. Uh, you know, I don't think they would have killed Navalny if uh, Mike Pompeo had been in state. I really don't. I don't believe they would have killed Navalny if President Trump was in. Uh, Putin would have killed Navalny. Do you? Well, they poisoned him on our watch, um, and that was unfortunate. That was in the fall of 2020. So uh, I hope not, right? But I they had deniability with the poison. Uh, yeah. they, they do not have deniability with Polar Wolf. And so I, I think Putin just doesn't care about America. He, he doesn't think Biden has the energy to do anything. Last 30 seconds to you. Oh, well, gosh, I think the biggest thing that we I mean, Navalny is certainly very important, but this is also a pattern of Russian behavior, Hugh. Like this is not something new that Putin has done. What I think is more important to focus on is what Mike Turner brought up last week, and that's the capabilities, the growing capabilities of Russia in space, whether it's a nuke, nuke uh, base in space or more importantly, anti-satellite missiles. Yeah, be afraid. Uh, could be in space. That's what's more important for us to focus be on. Be afraid. Mind. Be very afraid, America. Morgan Ortegas, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on President's Day from Nashville. Hey, America, follow her on X at Morgan Ortega. Welcome back, America. I'm expecting John Campbell, but the former congressman is not here. And I think it's because he thinks this is a national holiday and that, therefore, people don't work. But, in fact, in America of this millennium, we have so many national holidays that we do work on national holidays because we can't afford to take all the national holidays off. And we got by can't afford, meaning there are there are people like my PhD weight great sponsor of the show. They don't want us to run a pre recorded ad. They don't want us to talk about yesterday on my PhD They want me to ask Dwayne, uh, and, and I did Dwayne come to work today? 
Uh, Dwayne did come to work today. Oh, well, in a manner of speaking. Uh, um, those cuts didn't cut themselves, you know. Well, 864. Uh, 644. 1900. That's 864. 644. 1900. And that connects you to? Harley sent me a photo today, which uh-huh. if, he has, if he has handy, I'd like to put that on the screen. Yes, the... the, uh, the you're, you're dealing. I am dealing. The, I, they're, actually, I did not place those Girl Scout cookies on the mail scale. That was not me that actually did that. I just want to point out to people, you're, you're dealing out of the studio. Uh, dealing is being done out of the studio. That was actually a, a sneak attack. That was, that was my, my adoring wife being gracious to try to bestow goodies upon the other boys in the studio. MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Knowing that I can't have them. <laughs> That makes me laugh. I, I like that. And there they are. What the, kind are they? These would be the caramel delights. Oh, no one wants those. That's why also, you gave also them. Also known as the Samoas. That's no one likes those. That's why you gave them to Adam and uh, and Harley. You know, you know Chuck who went on the French cruise with us. Yeah, he just bought two cases of them. We we drop shipped two cases of these to him. Now I'd understand that if they were dosy dos, but I have you already met your quota. Are you working overtime? Uh, we still have a couple of cases of Thin Mints and something else in the... Oh, Campbell's here. What do you know? Well, good morning. Do you... Sorry to bother you. You should get a producer. Have you considered getting a producer oh, here we go. at some point? Here. I, you, I should have a producer. That? I should have a producer. Because, now, uh, because I, I already producer beat up on him, so I want to... We lost half okay, America. Segment. In case you wanted to know, this is what a dinner between the three of us uh, goes like. This right, is pretty so. much a standard three-piece dinner that we'll that come we go back. To that. I got one serious question I got to ask Campbell. Well, that would be yeah. a start. Okay, now this is the deal. You used to question the Federal Reserve Chairman often, right? Yes, I did. All right, what is and Jerome I, I, Powell have... trying to do? Because last week's inflation numbers were not good. And I'm not sure what he announced afterwards, but he, what is he doing? Look, the idea that the Federal Reserve is apolitical, that's a general thought out there. You know, independent, apolitical, they're just managing their, their um, dual mandate of maximum employment and stable prices, and, and that that's what they are. That is garbage. They're very political. And I used to have breakfast with Ben Bernanke, uh, oh, every couple of months, because he wanted to know, what, what's Congress think about me? He says, how come Republicans don't like me? John, I'm a Republican. I'm trying to this, that, and the other. And so they are very concerned about what is uh, what the rest of Washington, D.C. thinks of them. My view is that most people on the Federal Reserve today, many of whom are Biden appointees, who have very little economic background, but are steeped in leftist cultural objectives and, you know, their labor attorneys and various things like that, that their main objective is to get Joe Biden reelected. And the best way to do that from the standpoint of the Federal Reserve is to try and keep employment as high as possible, even if that means letting inflation run some, because a president will be much more likely to be reelected with 4% unemployment and 6% inflation than with 6% unemployment and 4% or 2% inflation. So I, although they talk a lot about inflation, I think they're much more concerned with keeping employment up, even if it means letting inflation run a little higher. Um, I also think they want to hold a lot of things together between now and November in order to help Biden. Look, even, even Jerome Powell, who I think is not super political, but Donald Trump has said that if elected, he would fire Powell on his first day in office. So uh, Powell probably doesn't want that either. Um, So that said, I think that's what they are. uh, I I think that's their main objective, really. Okay, so that's what they're doing. What do you make of the substance of what they're doing? 
the substance is um, is not so good. What I'm afraid they're doing is they're letting a lot of bubbles run, and that and that actually um, it, the idea of cutting interest rates from here is not very smart uh, because. But they may still do it. They may still do it in order to try and keep these bubbles going. Because if these bubbles burst before the election, it could cause some problems for them. But but whether it's uh, the price of the so-called Magnificent Seven, the main stocks that are driving the market now, the fever over artificial intelligence, housing prices, Bitcoin, uh, there are so many different bubbles that are out there uh, that have been growing because the, of high in, because of high, low interest rates, uh, high deficit, and a lot of uh, money printing. Let's remember that one of the main things driving economic growth right now is the deficit. It's a two trillion dollar deficit. Yes, which means every right, which means every month there's nearly two hundred billion dollars of money that the federal Fake government money. is pumping into the economy. Pretend right, money pumping into the. It, it is pretend money. And it's being borrowed, and that that to me is is the is the great bugaboo that's sitting out there. Is is the debt bubble? Is are you, we're old all enough this money to remember. You and I are old enough to remember when a big stimulus yeah, package. You, you remember? Yeah, old enough to when a big enormous stimulus package was three hundred and fifty million billion dollars. That was a big stimulus. You know, we're going to cut. The, the take home uh, the Social Security tax for six months. And that was supposed to turn the economy around. Every year we're spending two trillion dollars we don't have. It's insane. Right. And it's probably going to be even greater than that. One of the things I'll be writing about and look through the chaos dot com this weekend is that the CBO underestimated the deficit last year by a trillion, by a trillion dollars. And they they explain why they they explain about half of that as to what. Oh, yeah, we goofed up a little bit. We got it wrong by about a trillion, you know, and and they explain about half of it. But the rest of it, they don't. So so every every error they made was on the side of thinking the deficit was going to be smaller than it was. And so, yeah, you're right. These numbers are just staggering, absolutely staggering. And the people who used to buy our debt, which are foreigners, and to some degree, uh, the Federal Reserve right now aren't buying it. Foreigners have stopped. Federal Reserve has stopped. And what I'm afraid of is at some point here, if nobody wants to buy the debt, there's only two ways to get them to buy it. Either raise interest rates a bunch or print more money, which increases inflation. And and if they do that, uh, there's really only three ways out of a, a, a debt bubble. One is to inflate it away. Another is to use austerity, you know, you you cut spending and increase taxes. And the third is what's called financial repression, where the government comes in and says, you have to, Hugh Hewitt, buy treasury bills because you have money. And we're not going to do that. But you know what we are going to do? We're we're just going to print money. And that's why I'm still fully invested in the market, because we're just going to print money, because that's what we do. And we can. Um, And we're just going to keep doing it. I mean, are you invested still? Not much in the market. I'm mainly in short-term Treasury bills. I, I'm, I'm nervous about where this is all going to go. And so to sit there in short-term Treasury bills and earn 5.4% um, without state income tax, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that myself, personally. You have a – so, oh, uh, are you doing munis? Munis aren't at 5.4%. No, 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 no. No, but short-term – but Treasuries are not taxable by states. That's federal Oh, law. I didn't know that. So, didn't know that. Okay. So yeah, so interest interest from interest on federal debt is not taxable from state law. I still state, think because of this state, inflationary Fed, it's better to be invested than not. But that's next week if you show up. If you show up. If you show up. Because that's that reliability index just went way down. John Campbell, go to look through chaos on X or go find him on Substack, looking through chaos. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400.
I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America on President's Day. I'm pleased to welcome back Bethany Mandel, columnist and writer extraordinaire. Bethany does uh, the homeschooling at Mandel Central Take the day off on President's Day. Did my children ask you to ask me that? No, no, I'm just they saying that they do get the outraged. day off. No, that's not a real holiday. I'm sorry. It is a real holiday. I it used is. to, I, you know, my birthday is February 22nd. I used to get George Washington's birthday off. My birthday was always a day off from school before they screwed up the holiday and moved it to Monday. But it's a holiday. I can't believe you're making him work today. Uh, Says the man who's working today. Well, yes, that's true. But I'm an adult and and school days are supposed to be off. Bethany, I want to get to the serious thing. The Israeli cabinet voted unanimously from Betty Gantz over to the farthest right wing person to reject the idea of the imposition of a Palestinian state. I don't even know who came up with this idea on Team Biden, but have you been following it? And what is wrong with Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan? I don't think it's the president. I don't think he knows where he is. But what is wrong with these people? I I mean, I think that they are seeing their polling numbers, especially in Michigan, and they're terrified of their reelection prospects. And they're trying to just throw anything at the wall possible. And I think that they're doing this because they know it's not actually going to happen. So they want to appear as though they're doing something. But it it signals to Hamas and it signals to terrorists everywhere that if you are good enough at terrorism, which they were very good at terrorism on October 7th, you can get what you want. It's a really, really bad strategy, not just for Israel's long-term security, but also for America's. For every separatist group in the world, the message is massacre. You know, if if you're part of the Catalonian Catalonian, uh, separatist movement in Spain, the message from America is have a massacre and we'll impose a settlement on Spain. It really is. It's just almost unfathomable. And you think it's Michigan. Well, I've got to play you Rashida Tlaib on a TikTok video. Have you seen this yet? Have you seen Rashida Tlaib on TikTok? I haven't, but I know what you're saying, what right. saying Let, about the primary. Let's play cut number 25. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, I'm here at the Ford Civic Center in the city of Dearborn. I wanted to remind everyone, please, know that you can early vote today until February 17th. They are open here, specifically here from 9 to 5. Check with your local clerks. There are early voting all throughout the 12th Congressional District. It is important, as you all know, to not only march against the genocide, not only make sure that we're calling our members of Congress and local electeds and passing city resolutions all throughout our country, it is also important to create a voting block, something that is a bullhorn to say enough is enough. We don't want a country that supports wars and bombs and destruction. We want to support life. We want to stand up for every single life killed in Gaza. I want you to think of Al-Shama. I want you to think of Rima. I want you to think of Sidra. I want you to think of all of the amazing young children and the people. Again, lives were lost in Gaza. This is the way you can raise our voices. Don't make us even more invisible. Right now, we feel completely neglected, neglected and just unseen by our government. If you want us to be louder, then come here and vote uncommitted. Uncommitted. So uh, that's what's going on, Bethany. That's the whole explanation right there. So here's some here's some interesting numbers for your listeners. Uh, only 24 percent of uh People in her congressional district approve of how she is as a congresswoman. Thirty uh, percent said they disapprove, and another twenty-eight percent are are neutral. I think that maybe she might come to regret this strategy of trying to undercut and and kneecap the president because her numbers aren't great either. No, they're not. And Keir Starmer today in Great Britain called for a ceasefire. 
That's like throwing a lifeline to Rishi Sunak. Unfortunately, Rishi Sunak grabbed onto the anvil called David Cameron. So, and David Cameron is turning his back on Israel. I think there will be blowback, uh, Bethany, against everyone involved in undercutting Israel at this moment. Uh, agree or disagree, or am I being overly optimistic? I think you're overly optimistic. I think that there's there's not as many people who support Israel as you might think, but I think that there's a heck of a lot more people who don't understand the beasts that we're currently tangling with, with you know extremist Islamic ideology. The chickens will come home to roost. Uh, they have already done so in southern Israel, and they will they will as well here. And I think that uh, Americans and Britons and everyone who think that. Uh, they're somehow immune to this. Uh, I I hope that they don't, you know, have this awakening, but they will. Has Trump done what he needs to do to make this the realigning issue? It could be he needs to come out and speak on behalf of Israel every day. And I don't know that he's done that. I haven't seen I haven't seen a word and people send me stuff that he says all the time. I have not heard him say a word. This could be a real opportunity for him. I know that his daughter and his son-in-law, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, went and they bore witness. They went to Kafaraza. I've seen the videos. I think it's wonderful. But they're not associated with his campaign. So I would like to hear something from from the horse's mouth itself. And thus far, I have not. Yeah, David Friedman, his former ambassador, is everywhere on behalf of Israel. But the former president has not spoken out, as I think if he did, only out of self-interest. I know he supported Israel when he was president, but out of political self-interest, he realigns a significant portion of supporters of Israel vote in America. Bethany uh, Mandel can be found on X, Bethany Shondar, and teaching on a day that her children should have off. I mean, they really ought to go to the zoo today, Bethany. Just saying, not fair. Not fair, Mom. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.